Hello and welcome to Road Killers. I'm your host, <laughs> and Desiree. And on this episode, we're looking at more dead people, as per always. What do you mean, as per always? This is our first episode. Well, I'm just saying, (laughs) what do you mean? We're not doing an episode, are we? Unless we're doing an episode. Are we doing an episode? I thought you wanted to. Oh, no, I thought we were doing, like, rough rough draft episodes. Are we doing an actual episode? Oh, I don't know. Let's do an actual. Well, then, because I feel like if we do a rough draft (laughs) episode, and I tell you this whole story, then your reactions and comments aren't going to be... Okay, mate. Authentic. We'll just, we'll just title it maybe an episode. Hi, welcome <laughs> to Road Killers. This is maybe an episode. Who are we looking at today, Desiree? Um, we are gonna be covering the Burger Chef murders. Okay, it's not like the hack slinging slasher from um, SpongeBob. I mean, you could say it is. It kind of is. Kind of. Okay. Happens in a restaurant. Doesn't so, have uh, a spatula on his hand. If a knife is a spatula. Fair. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. Okay. Okay. So our story starts in Speedway, Indiana. Um, Speedway is pretty close to Indianapolis. And up until 1978, Speedway was considered a very peaceful place. But after a lar- lot of crimes started happening, such as... In July of 1978, a woman was shot in the head at her own yard cell and was killed. Was that, was that discounted? What do you mean? Yeah, like a like yard like sale. Well, yeah, like at the, at the yard sale, like what? This dude like walked up and just murked her? Yeah, like oh. she went, she turned around and went back to like grab something. And Jesus, I love the 70s. Yeah, well, Speedway was going crazy in this specific year. Um, So she was murdered at her own house in her yard sale. And then in September of 1978, there was a six-day bombing spree where eight homemade bombs were... (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) It just, like, went really extreme. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was was like a normal town, and then... Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, Yeah, then we have bombs. A really peaceful town, and then it just kind of exploded. It's fine, yeah, like literally just exploded. Yep, so a a six-day bombing spree where eight homemade bombs were placed around and set off. They were placed in the bowling alleys, a police car, a shopping place, and on the street. And one of these bombings was set off at a high school in Speedway in the parking lot in two of the two people that were there were severely injured and one person even lost their leg. Now well, somebody died at least. Uh, I guess. Yeah. At least. I mean. Severely injured. Yeah, well, severely injured, missing a leg. Like, that's not bad. I don't think that's bad. Okay. I don't know. Say that if you lose your leg. I'd be okay. <laughs> I think. You'd be okay? I think I'd be okay. Okay. Um, and then also, like, a few gangs had came into cat- town and... Uh, you know, drugs. 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 Yep. Crack. Drugs. So, you know, Speedway was just going crazy at this time. And then in November, the Burger Chef murders occurred. 
So Burger Chef was a fast food chain and it had over a thousand restaurants at its peak all over the U.S. So Burger Chef was like the name of it? Yeah, that was the name of the restaurant. Oh, I thought this was just a title. No, it's the name of a restaurant. Oh. It was a fast food chain. Oh, okay. It w- obviously wasn't that good. Oh. It, I mean, it didn't, okay. make it, to, it didn't make it to early 2000s at least. No, I mean, it didn't. Of us know what it is. It didn't so. because it was purchased by, Burger can you King. guess? No, I would have guessed that too, but yeah. a different restaurant. Shake Shack? Nope. No, not Shake Shack. It was in the Midwest. It was in the Midwest. Um... Uh, I mean it's not a very good restaurant that we go to often. Steak Shake. Hardee's. Oh. Hardee's. Yeah. Yeah, that was my reaction okay. to. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And the last Burger Chef closed in the 90s. So on November 17th, 1978, four employees were working the Burger Chef closing shift in Speedway. The first employee was James Fright. She was 20 years old, and she was the assistant manager and had been working at Burger Chef since she was 17. She worked at another location and was transferred to this store a few months prior. Everyone said that she was a really great manager and took her job very seriously, working 52 hours a week. And she was soon to be in line to be promoted again as store manager. Um, She was also in college and was very involved Everyone that knew her said that she was a super nice, happy, positive person. This is the part where I'm like, oh my god, she was how old? I forget. You kind of She was 20. She's 20. Oh, she's she only been 20. working. Oh, it's like two and a half years. Yeah, but she was she was the oldest one in the store at the time. So typical for fast food. Yes, typical for typical fast, fast food. food. You have a bunch of kids working. Yep. And then the second person was Ruth Shelton. She was 17. She was an honor student at Northwest High School and was taking college classes, and was pursuing a double major in business and math, and was also planning on pursuing a degree in computer science. So she's pretty much a genius. Smart girl. That was lame. She was she was a nerd. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, considering the time back in the 80s, she was a nerd. Smart. Okay. Girl boss. In computer science. Um. Sure. Anyways, so she was quiet, and people desc- described her as smart and hardworking, and she also studied music at what is now the University of Indianapolis and was very involved in her church. And then working on the grill that night was 16-year-old Mark Flemons. He was the youngest of seven children and was raised in a devout Jehovah's Witness household. (laughs) (laughs) That's gross. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't even really know what Jehovah's Witness are. Those are the people that come knocking on your door. Knock on the door. Yeah, and if you say hi to them, then they they keep showing up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They showed up at our house for like what two, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was described as a a friendly guy, and he also looked and dressed very nicely. Um, he was a student at Speedway High School, and he was currently a sophomore, but after struggling a bit his freshman year and doing a lot better his sophomore year, his parents let him get a job at the local burger chef since it was close enough to home that he could walk. So this night, he actually wasn't supposed to even be working, um, but another employee had asked him to cover, sw- a, shift. Yep, cover yeah. a shift, and he agreed. 
And then also working that night was Daniel Davis, who was also 16. He was a junior at Dakota High School, and he was known as a jokester and was very into photography, so much so that he even had his own dark room that he would develop Mm -hmm. pictures in at home. Um, He was planning to enlist in the U.S. Air Force after high school. Um, He was called a model employee and actually had just moved to be working at the closing shifts that week. Um, He also wasn't supposed to be working this specific shift, Mm -hmm. but um, someone's someone's van broke down. So he had to cover. Yeah, so he covered the closing shift for them. But he got the privilege of doing the closing shift now. From the sounds of it. Yeah, like they had just moved in from like working days to working. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, what a great privilege. And then it leads to uh, a murder. Yeah, a bunch of dead people. So. Okay, so after working walk, after working their closing shift, they started their closing duties at 11 p.m. They started, you know, doing their cleaning, mopping, taking out the trash, counting registers. And a little before midnight, 17-year-old Brian Kring was driving home after a date that he was on. He was also an employee at this burger chef and as he passed he decided that he would just swing in and help them finish closing since they know that um yeah, they're shorthanded yeah they were shorthanded so when he p- was pulling up he noticed that the parking lot was empty and jane's 1974 chevy vega was nowhere to be found even though the lights were still on and he knew that they were still in there supposed to be working james was one of the guys no james that was the the first person the 20 20-year-old. That was Jane. Jane? Jane. There's James? No, Jane. Yeah. Is that who you're talking this about? This is Brian. Brian said that Jane's... Jane's car, car was, was not, not there. in the parking lot Okay. when he pulled up. Well, I thought you said James. Jane. Jane. James. James I see car. how that could see, sound yeah, like... Yeah, James. Um, James' yep. car wasn't there. Okay. Yeah. So James skipped out early. Yep. Well, that's what it, that's what it seems With like. With all the, the lights are still on. Yeah, all the lights are still on. He knows that they're still supposed to be in there closing up, so he decides to go in. So he drives around to the back because he knew that the front doors would be locked. And then when he drives around the back, he notices that the back door was cracked open, which is not Unusual. obviously how it's supposed to be. Um, so he goes in, and he's looking around, and there's absolutely no one there. Um, he's yelling still nowhere to no one to be found so he goes up front and he sees that the cash registers were open and on the floor and they were empty and then he walks back to the office he sees that the girls jackets are still there their purses are still there and that the safe is open money's missing um and that money bags were like pulled out right um so he calls around and no one has a clue where they are and his manager the store manager yeah, yeah, tells him to go ahead and call the police. So he does. And then this is this is where things start getting a little frustrating. So the police show up and they start looking around. They see the same stuff, you know, money's gone. Next to the safe, there's an empty roll of like duct tape, pretty much. Okay. So this is suspicious, right? Right, kind of right. sucks. So the store manager 
Robert Gilliam had also came and showed up because he was concerned for the kids. And he counts up the receipts and finds that $581 was taken out of the safe. But again, the girls' purses were still there. Mm-hmm. They weren't open. Nobody rummaged through them. They still had money in their purses. And there's about $100 worth of coins that weren't stolen right, but in the safe. Gonna, who's going to take coins if you're robbing I mean, if it's a robbery. I wouldn't take coins. Okay, but I would think that you would come with bags big enough. For coins? Be, yeah, I would no, just grab it all. Coins? I get they're heavy, but come on. No, that's stupid. They you're don't gonna, add up to if you're gonna rob. They only like ones you're gonna take quarters. Okay. But okay. I see your point. Okay. I see your sure. point. <laughs> so police are not taking this serious and they just figured that during the shift the four had conspired together and they figured after they started closing the store they would just take all the money and you yep. know, go have fun, go crazy. Go clubbing. It's a lot of money. At the time. In the 70s. Yeah. At the time, it was a lot of money. But the manager is like, no, these are good kids. These are good employees. Like, that's not something that they would do. And police were like, mm, you're wrong. We're right. <laughs> like, the, the kids are just uh, they're out. They're just kids. They're, they're blowing money. Yeah, they're out. They stole the money. That's what happened. Um. So... On the morning of November 18th, the morning employees for the next shift come in, and the burger chef was obviously not marked off as a crime scene. The police, the night before, they didn't take any pictures. They didn't collect any evidence. Right. They they didn't do anything because they didn't think it was serious. They just showed up. So the employees, they show up, and they start, they start cleaning because obviously the closing shifts weren't. It wasn't finished. It wasn't finished. So they mopped the floors. They wiped down all the tables, the counters. They moved things around, you know. Um, and then they open up for the day. And who knows how many customers come in. So all, all of that got rid of any potential evidence. Well, I don't think fingerprints were... Well, no, nah, fingerprints were a thing. Yeah, I think but they... DNA wasn't. Yeah. They would collect things, like... If they had DNA, they would collect it and like yeah, try to pre- it, preserve it. But um, yeah, but like actual DNA testing was a thing until yeah, until a what, lot like later. What is it like the two thousands, nineties, two thousands? So the police go ahead and call call the families. There's still no signs of the kids, and they they decide like, oh crap. Like we messed up. We might have messed up. Like they might actually be missing. Yeah, they might be missing. So they they start searching. Um, a bunch of other departments come and help search them. There's helicopters that are out putting the, or looking for them. They put out like missing people like alerts, and the FBI actually even offered help. Um, that morning, Jane's car was found two blocks away from the Speedway Police Station. The driver's side door was locked and all the other ones were unlocked. They found no cars and they did sweep the car for fingerprints, but they found nothing. They found no cars. No fingerprints. Oh. No evidence. Okay. I thought you said they found no cars. I might have messed up. Okay. I don't know. Whoop. Okay. <laughs> Should I say that whole thing again? No, you're good. 
So, again, police at this point, they're like, they realize that they, they've made a mistake. And they believe at this point that foul play was involved and that it was possibly a robbery gone wrong. And they very much regretted not treating the burger chef as a crime scene. So they decided to go back to the burger chef and reconstruct the scene from memory. Mm. Um, they take pictures of it. And does it all right. this yeah. does absolutely nothing. Good. There's no evidence. Good police work. So they just have these uh, pictures that That's they... Fair. Yeah. They just did. That they just did. They They just wasted their time taking pictures. Anyways. So on November 19th, police get a call from a man named Fred Heger, who owned a heavily wooded property in Johnson County about 20 miles south of Speedway. And he said that him and his wife were taking a walk around their property when they came upon four bodies and they immediately recognized the burger chef uniforms when they saw it and called the police. So police arrive and they find the bodies that are in the woods. They find Daniel Davis and Ruth Shelton lying side by side, face down. They had been shot multiple times by a 38 caliber gun in the heads, neck, and shoulders. Mark Flemons and James Bright were, I said James. And Jane. Jane. (laughs) Mark Flemons and Jane Fright were found a bit further away in opposite directions. So if you kind of imagine like a a triangle shape, if that makes sense. Like the two bodies were found and then they kind of ran out. And Jane and and Mark were far off from everybody. Yep. So police believe that they were possibly all laying face down like side by side and when the first shots were fired that those two got up and ran um it seemed like jane had been caught quickly and she was stabbed twice in her chest so brutally that the blade came off inside of her chest this blade was four and a half inches long and it was a hunting knife the handle was never found and a picture of the knife was released in 2018 um, Mark's death was really confusing to them, so it looked like he had a blow to his head, and his autopsy revealed that he had internal injuries, but had died from asphyxiating on his own blood. They said that it took him probably about 5 to 20 minutes to choke to death. Jeez. Um, they couldn't be for sure what had happened to him, but they theorized that he had been beaten with something that resembled a chain and was left to choke on his blood or that possibly he was running and while he was running to escape he ran headfirst really hard into a tree and then he fell it got knocked unconscious and then choked but another thing about this if he had been laying in any other position that wasn't directly on his back he more than likely would have lived yep um they found no signs of struggle on any of them and they didn't think that they were held hostage for any amount of time and were murdered immediately when they arrived to the woods um they found money jewelry still on the kids so again this kind of supported the theory that like the kids tried to run off yeah um that they like thought that it was probably more than just a robbery 
Um, they didn't find a lot of evidence at the scene. They found a tire track, which they casted a plaster mold of, but nothing really came out of that. Uh, they questioned the owners. They said that they didn't hear or see anything. And, of course, uh, the police were kind of dropping the ball again. And a lot of this information was kind of getting muddled because the Speedway police were involved. And, but since the bodies were found in a different county, county yep, that that the police officers in that county were involved. And then since the initial phone call to 911 had been to the Indianapolis police, they were also trying to be involved. So a lot of things were just no, not good communication, you know, egos right. type stuff. And they even found that some of the police officers were driving through the crime scene. And apparently one of these police officers even had had one of the kids' IDs on him in his he pocket. Went away with it. Yeah, went away with it and he didn't even realize till like weeks later when he was like doing his laundry. Like how does that happen? <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. So handling everything. Yeah, it just wasn't from the start and they'll they'll go to admit this later that that they screwed up. That they screwed, they screwed up the this evidence. case yeah. up really bad. So the leading theory that they had was that it was a botched robbery, robbery and that between 11.15 to 12.15, one of the boys had went out to take the trash. And they left the door cracked open to go back in and grab the rest of the trash. And someone saw this opportunity and broke in. And since Mark wasn't supposed to be working there, they figured that he possibly recognized he, re- he possibly recognized the guy. Um, and since he didn't want any witnesses to the robbery, just decided to kidnap and murder four kids, I guess. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, a lot of this doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it's like a stupid theory. You're yeah. saying that, like, they just, like, decided to rob and then... At the end of it, they were like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I'll just never take mind. Let me just go ahead and murder four everybody. Kids. Yeah, I'll just go from this robbery, from robbery to, to murder. kidnap and murder. Yeah, I don't know. But that was their theory. Sure. <laughs> um, they also theorized that the killer was more than likely from Johnson County, since that's where they were taken, and they figured that that person probably yeah. had to know the area. Know the woods, at least. Yep. And they also thought that it probably wasn't one person that it was probably at least two to five people because how are you one person gonna keep control of four kids a gun yeah i can see two i can see two not five five yeah five five's a lot five's a lot uh so police received a few calls from people saying that they had seen a car going through the neighborhood um they they were speeding, they didn't have their lights on, and it looks like it looked like there were kids in the car. Um, but nothing really came out of that. But they did receive a call from a 16-year-old who said that on the night of November 17th, he had went to pick up his girlfriend who worked at Dunkin' Donuts, which was right beside the Burger Chef. Mm-hmm. Between 11:15 to 11:30, they said that they went and they sat on the railroad tracks. When they were approached by two men, both m- men were white in their early to mid-30s. One of them had facial hair 
dark facial hair, and he would put a, hold up a handkerchief to his mouth whenever he would speak. And then the other guy was clean-shaved, and he had light-colored hair. So apparently these men, they they asked them what they were doing, and they said, no, we're just, we're just talking. And the bearded man told them they should leave since there had been so much crime in the area. Um, they were kind of confused, but they left anyways. And when they left, they walked through the Burger Chef parking lot where they saw Jane's car. So it's likely that the... So her car was still there. Yep. It was probably those two guys. Yeah. So they spoke to a com- composite yeah, 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 guy, yeah. a sketch artist, and composite sketches were made of these two men and released. A forensic artist was commissioned to make clay busts of the men, too, and you should look up a picture because they are they're terrifying. Bad. They're bad. They're terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they came up with 500 to 600 leads. I'll just wait for no, you. No, no, you're good. You're okay. good. Keep going. Um, and they they checked out all these leads, but nothing else really came out of it. Did you see? Did you just find yeah, it? Yeah, they're pretty bad. Yeah. The eyes bulging it really like gets me. I wonder if you can buy them on like a t-shirt. Good lord. Yeah. They're, they're scary. But, I mean, they do resemble the composite sketches. No. No, you don't think so? No, not at all. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody doing this. I haven't either, and it doesn't seem like it, it helped in any sort of way either. Um, They just figured that since it was like 3D, maybe it would. Yeah, I guess. But the composites were like, the, that, the actual sketches were <laughs> yeah, decent. But then you get, you get clay busts that uh, freaking look like something out of a horror movie. Good lord. <laughs> so. God, Krampus. Jesus Krampus. Christ. So, um, someone did call in, and they said that there was a man at one of the local bars in Greenwood, and he was bragging about committing the murders at Burger Chef. Um, so one of, so an investigator went undercover to the bar and actually played a game of pool with the guy, and the man continued during this game of pool, bragging about robbery, robbing and murdering the kids. And then he was arrested, but when he was arrested, he recanted everything so and was like, just kidding. Yeah, like, I was just messing around, guys. Um, but before he was released, he did give them a few names of some gang member- members. The police tracked them down, and one of these men looked a lot like the bearded man, and he had no alibi, and his neighbor looked a lot like the light-colored hair guy. So, they bring him in for a lineup, but conveniently, he decided after five years of having this beard that he, yep, he shaved off his beard. Perfect. Perfect timing. Um, So, yeah, he wasn't able to be picked out of the lineup, and um, since they didn't have any other evidence, they just let him go. So... Police also tried to find any connections with any other fast food robberies. Um, They looked into murders in Oklahoma at a fast food chain where six employees had been 
shot and killed, but they found no connections. So far. Oklahoma. Yeah, so, like, so far, yeah. Like, Oklahoma saying that Oklahoma had something to do with Indiana. Yeah. I think they were just, you know, grab. Yep. yep. So, Br- Burger Chef posted a $25,000 reward that later went up to over $35,000 after Steak and Shake added a few thousand and an anonymous person added $10,000. But even with this reward, nobody was forthcoming with information. But on November 29th, the Indianapolis Star received a letter that claimed three people were involved in the murders and stated and said that it started as a robbery and that two of the people involved were involved in the murders and that the third person had just stayed in the car and that if they gave the third person immunity, they would possibly come forward. And it also had said that the three people had broken up and they were not in Indiana anymore. So police go publicly and they ask many times for the writer of this letter to come forward and they later received a reply that said they that they're not able to help anymore but wanted them to know that the third person did not know what was going going to happen. Um, and they thought that they were just going to tie up the kids and leave them there. Um, and that there was no talk of killing them before they had gotten to the wooded area. Right, obviously. Uh, this third person apparently tried to stop them. And when the first shot was fired, yelled, run, at the kids, and got beat up for it later. Um, it also stated, quote, I wish the the one that ran into the tree wouldn't died. That way you policemen would have the killers locked up by now. But I'm sorry, I can't help any more than this. But I can't break a promise. End quote. So, like, it's from... The letter's obviously from the third person. Yeah, like the that's... The one that didn't know anything. Yeah, that's but, the vibe I was getting. But they're asking for immunity of themselves, which makes no sense. Yeah. It's kind of stupid. Yeah, I don't know. Like, saying that they didn't know. They're like, oh, well, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. If you can it's give like the third person immunity... It's like, like wh- okay, but if it was a killers. robbery, why did you want to um, kidnap them and go for... Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. If I, I feel like if you're a robber, why would you want to attach a kidnapping charge onto that, you too? Well, why would you want to attach a kidnapping and a murder charge? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, I just, it's a bit much. I don't know. But police were kind of desperate since they didn't have many other leads. So they made many public appeals for this third person to come forward. And they even offered immunity to them. But nobody ever came forward. Stupid. And then six years later... December of 1984, an inmate at Pendle Correctional Facility contacted a reporter at the Indianapolis Star and said that they thought a guy named Donald Ray Forrester was responsible. So, Donald Ray Forrester, he grew up in, guess where? Speedway. No. Johnsonville. Johnson County. Johnson County. I knew it. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I spot on. Good job, Johnson County. Which, like they said, police originally thought oh, that that's where it was. Yep, that the person. Somebody had to be familiar with the area. Yep. So at 
18, Forrester, he had already had many run-ins with the police for disorderly conduct, public intoxication, and reckless driving. Driving. By July 19th, mess that up. By July 1969, he was arrested for assault and battery with intent of rape. In and in 1977, was serving a one to ten year sentence for sodomy. And during the sentence, him and another inmate got in trouble for holding a guard at knife point. But he was released soon after. Is sodomy just butt stuff? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's um whenever you but it was place foreign objects inside of Sodom. someone. You know, just bus stuff. He got arrested for bus stuff. Stop saying that. He was arrested for anal. What was he arrested for? I'm, I'm really confused. The second time. Sodomy, which is rape. It's why you rape Pretty somebody yeah. in the butt. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then in 1978, he was living in Speedway and was arrested again for rape and sentenced to 95 years. So, you know, that's like the perfect time. Actual he's rape charges. Good in for him. 1978, he's living in Speedway. So in prison, he told an inmate um, that he committed the murders and then this inmate went to tell reporters so this reporter looks into Forrester and finds out that his ex-wife had actually contacted police in 1979 and said that she had went with him, uh, her then husband, to a wooded area near where the bodies were found a few weeks after because he wanted to look for shell casings. Um, there he found six and took him took them home and flushed him down the toilet and then made a phone call. Uh, This reporter interviews Forrester and Forrester goes on to say that the murders happened all because of drugs. Um, Which is a theory that police had thrown into the air at one point. So it kind of backed that up. And they looked into it and they found out in 1981 Jane's brother had been arrested for intent to sell cocaine and possibly had owed some people some money, some bad people, and that these people possibly went to Burger Chef to scare Jane to teach him a lesson and to pressure him into paying them. Yep. That was three years prior. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. It was three years prior, but I'm sure he was involved with drugs, like, before. Well, like, he owed that much money to where they were like, hey, you know what, we're going to go threaten some people. It's possible. I mean, there were, like, gangs and stuff. Um, So, police were contacted, but they honestly, they weren't sure about Forrester. They figured that he, his motives behind giving them the information was pretty sketchy. So, um, he was soon to be he was soon to be transferred to Indiana State Prison, which uh, is a place that you don't want to go if you're a sex offender. 
So they figured that he was just giving this information up uh, so that he could possibly get some sort of deal and not have to go. Not have to go to Indiana. And not have to go to that specific prison. But they brought him to Marion County anyways for an interview. He said that he executed Daniel Davis and Ruth Shelton with a 38 caliber gun. The police then took him to the crime scene where he was able to pinpoint the exact location of each body. He also told police about the broken knife blade in Jane's chest, um, which actually had not been released to the public yet. He said that him and three other accomplices were a part of a drug gang and that Jane's brother owed them money. And so they went to Burger Chef to scare Jane to pressure him into paying. While there, he said that Mark Fleming stepped up to defend Jane and he was knocked unconscious. They had thought that he was dead. So they abducted all three of the employees and took Mark's body with them so there would be no witnesses. They then... Were you going to say something? No, I'm just like, so like their theory was right? Like the cops' like theory was right? Like yeah, they just were missing one part of it. Like, yeah. The whole like... Like why yeah. did they abduct them? Okay. Okay. All right. Which kind of makes sense because if he was unconscious and they thought that he was yeah, dead, now it like, is a murder. Well, yeah. So they were like, let's get well full commit to it. Yeah. Um, and then he said that they took Jane's car to the middle of the town and abandoned it, and then put them into a van that they had driven there, and then took them to the the woods where they committed the murders. Um. This could also explain why Mark had asphyxiated, (laughs) uh, choked, had asphyxiated the way that he did because it's possible that they probably took his body out of the car and just laid him down on his back. And since he was directly on his back, he just choked. I thought you said that he was beat with like a chain. Yeah, that they theorized that, but it really only came up in the in the the first thing. Yeah, in the one area, and I really didn't see like further explanation which they possibly i mean how did they, they knock him, him yeah unconscious they could have beat him they could have beat him with a chain um he said at, and then forrester goes on to say that after the bodies were found he went out and found shell casings and then flushed them and police decide to look into this so they go to his old house that was in speedway and they search the septic tank and they f- were able to find multiple 38 caliber shell casings. They also got Forrester to call one of the accomplices that he supposedly had. And they were going to record this conversation. But somehow, once again, the recording got messed up. So they couldn't use any of this evidence. But they were able to salvage like one point of the conversation where Forrester had told him to give him money for an attorney. And it's not clear exactly what the guy said, but whatever his um, response was, he sounded very guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, They also were able to find out that the guy that Forrester had called, 
His house was linked to drug trafficking, and they were able to find out that Jane had actually been to his house on multiple occasions. So it all kind of checks out. Yeah, so it all kind of just falling together. Yeah. Until (laughs) someone leaked to the media that Forrester was working as an informant for the police, so he freaks out. And he completely stops cooperating with them, and he recants everything that he just told them. And at this point, the police didn't have enough evidence to make a, an arrest. And then Forrester died, for and Forrester died in prison of cancer in 2006. Okay. And this is where the story really stops. That's why it's still a uh, yep. cold case. And this case remains unsolved. And, you know, a lot of people believe that Forrester was the guy. It sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of details. and. Yeah, it sounds like he had too much information. Yeah. And it just makes you wonder that if the police would have taken it seriously initially, that this case probably would have been solved way sooner. Yeah, and they would have, like, taken fingerprints and stuff like that, at least. Yep. At the beginning. And it's pretty unlikely that this case will ever be solved because any information that that dude had died with him. Yep. Hmm. Wow. Burger Chef. At least we're out of business now. What does that mean? Anyway. Um, wait, we have to close out. How do we? So that is it for the Road Killers podcast today. Closing. You can you can tell us your thoughts on our social media. Mine on Instagram is at Desiree Foreman and Elijah. I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> Elijah X Allen X. Dang. Banger. Or because we still need to make an Instagram, you could just Road Killers podcast like we could just do one of those kind of things that'd be it'd be a lot easier or hit us up on our email at roadkillers.podcast at gmail.com was it that i'm pretty sure something like that we might have to i don't know it doesn't even matter we'll just all the information will be in the description yeah if we figure out how to upload descriptions if not then you know roadkillers.podcast yeah okay yeah bye bye